welcome to the Mill Creek View CEO Special with me, your host, Steve Abramowitz, where I interview the best business people and entrepreneurs. Hello, and welcome back to the Mill Creek View CEO Special with your host, Steve Abramowitz. We are focused on the best businesses doing good business in America. Today, we are in studio with Scott Prager. Pranger. But first, for more information about the CEO Special or the Mill Creek View Stable Podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts or videos at Mill Creek View. While you're there, please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of this amazing content and pass it on. And thanks for doing it. Stacks Pay. Stacks Sports is a fan-appreciated app, appreciation app and the easiest way to show your favorite musicians some love. Ensure the success of your favorite artists. Paying and tipping via mobile payment with Stack Sports puts more money directly in artists' pocket so they can continue to perform and create the music you love. Scott Pranger, Chief Executive Officer. Scott is a three-time Inc. 500 entrepreneur and holds a demonstrated track record in expanding publicly traded and early stage companies into U.S. and international markets. Pranger occupied multiple executive positions and served on boards of directors garnering significant experience in profit and loss management, mergers and acquisitions, and venture capital and private equity fundraising. An established force in the field of entrepreneurial information, technology, and software industry operations, Scott was inducted into his university's College of Business and Analytics Hall of Fame in 2024. Scott, you have been uh, you have a team behind you at Stack Sports led by software developers and architects with expertise in fintech, media and entertainment, technology verticals, AWS based enterprise grade software architecture and strategy, blockchain and cryptocurrencies and cybersecurity. Tell us about your team. Yeah, well well first of all, we're uh, uh, kind of spread around today, Steve. Uh, uh, you know, in today's world it's pretty uh, easy to, to collaborate together and work together remotely, which I mean, really couldn't even do this five years ago with a lot of the things we do, but, but our executive team, our, you know, our head of sales, our CRO, he's in uh, the Bay area, lives in San Francisco, uh, Troy Solomon. Uh, we've got two uh, heads of product uh, because of the different uh, product activities that we have underway, we need to kind of bifurcate into two areas. One is uh, a gentleman that heads up all of our uh, Web 2.0 initiatives and, and payment uh, uh, dev- software development. Uh, and then secondly, we've got a, a, a another chief product officer that focuses, focuses on uh, Web 3.0 and uh, also uh, artificial intelligence uh, technology. So we've got uh, two heads of product based on what it is that we're trying to, to, to accomplish in uh, software development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in uh, at Atlanta, and by the way, those two, two gentlemen are in New York and Columbus, uh, respectively. Uh, and then in Atlanta, we've got our president and chief operating officer, his name's uh, Corey Raines. Um, and he actually is a, a business and a law graduate from uh, the University of Georgia. Uh, and uh, uh, prior to uh, joining us at, at Stax, he uh, was uh, he had his own media and entertainment uh, law practice. So his customers uh, are actually the same, a lot of the same type of people that, that we want to work with in, in our company. Very nice. Uh, and it doesn't hurt to, to have a, a lawyer in house too, <laughs> uh, in, in a software company like ours. So we uh, 
we uh, benefit from from that as well in terms of uh, cut, cutting costs on uh, on legal. Uh, and then our software development team is actually spread over three countries: uh, India, uh, Argentina, and Brazil. And uh, we've got a really solid team. We're very happy with uh, the uh, the group that we have. They're actually doing the the coding for us. Uh, and then there are other other activities in the company where we uh, outsource uh, work really on more of a project basis and employ uh, contractors and, and W9 kind of type workers versus uh, uh, hiring FTEs and bringing them in house. Mm-hmm. And how many employees are we up to now? About, about 20, 20 today, 18, probably, I think 18 is probably the, the exact number. And I mentioned uh, your claim to fame, uh, your college business, but I didn't say which college was it. It was uh, uh, Southern Illinois University of Carbondale. Nice. All right. Yep. Salukis. And you chose uh, Nashville as your headquarters. What brings you here? Uh, well, uh, there was actually a, a, a family reason for uh, uh, moving here. I was uh, actually at, at the prior to being in Nashville, I was working in Palo Alto, California in Silicon Valley. And uh, my parents were getting up in age. Uh, and I've got uh, three other siblings uh, and a bunch of nieces and nephews that all live within 10 minutes, my parents' house. Uh, up near uh, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, directly north of uh, St. Louis. And uh, so part of it was, be, you know, I wanted to be somewhat close to them. And then I've got two grown children that actually live in uh, Alpharetta, Georgia. And so I wanted, it, it was basically very fortuitous. It's about a four and a half hour drive, you know, each way. Uh, and then also, you know, at the time when I looked at, 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 uh, uh, Nashville, uh, you know, the city is growing rapidly, uh, you know, virtually no unemployment. I always tell people if, if you're not working in Nashville, then there's a reason why you're not working. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I also thought the, uh, the, the demographics and everything favored, uh, uh, technology companies being based here as well. I could, I could tell from being out in Silicon Valley that, there was a exodus already underway. People moving out of California. Uh, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley anymore, especially with the the tools and 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 capabilities we have now to enable you know remote work and, and work from home. So just you know, and it, it's just a great city. I mean, there's nothing uh, to uh, dislike about about Nashville. Yeah, that is true right there. Um, so the vision of the company, Stack Sports, a digital ecosystem anchored by a mobile app designed specifically to meet the needs of the gig economy, Nashville is all about that, not retrofitted from yesterday's W-2 and FTE models. That's awesome for a vision statement, but tell us more. Flesh that out for us so people who aren't looking uh, with their eyes and maybe listening with their ears can understand what Stack Sports is all about. Yeah, well, we uh, actually... Uh, last year, I think it was the last time I saw you, Steve, uh, uh, during the, the event we had at the Gibson Garage downtown, uh, 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 we uh, uh, had just released really the first uh, full production version of our Stacks Pay app, which is our fan app, and then the uh, Stacks Musician app, which was designed really for the performers and the artists. Um, and we uh, through the software we created, we automated a, a number of different payment tasks and transactions. Uh, there's other things that uh, people in that line of work need to do. First of all, they're all gig workers to begin with. Uh, they're not employees. 
Uh, it's kind of like project-based work uh, almost uh, when you're when you're a performer. And uh, so anyway, we automate a number of tasks in terms of how the uh, uh, performers get paid, but also then how they actually pay themselves, how they pay other gig workers that support them. Uh, so if you're, uh, you know, up and coming artist, if you go out on the road, you're paying, you know, you got a bus driver, you got a sound engineer, uh, 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 a lighting engineer, like, you know, uh, you know, there's all these other gig type workers that support the performers. They need to get paid. And so we created some capability capabilities where first of all in terms of the fans paying them we we enable them to collect all their payments during a performance versus paying them out you know each time there's a transaction accumulate the total and then based on whatever their deal is that they set up in the app uh we'll chunk that payment up based on what you know the, what their arrangement is and then get everybody paid and move the money into their accounts so, no, so there's no counting of cash uh <clears throat> Uh, and even with the peer-to-peer mobile payment apps today, like Venmo, Zelle, and Cash App, when the artists are getting paid, it's going to one person, and they still have the problem when they get done. Somebody's got to count, you know, figure out how much they got they got paid, and then they got to figure out how to move the money to everybody. Uh, so we solve all that problem, and then on the kind of the back end, on the, you know, in terms of paying the other type, gig, you know, other gig workers, uh, uh, we have some like many payroll capabilities where you can create a, a group ID for the group that's supporting the artists. You can enter in what they're each owed based on what time frame they use. Oftentimes they get paid daily. Uh, and so uh, with just a couple clicks, uh, we can do an ACH pull out, out of whatever, whatever you know bank account they're using and then split that up and get everybody paid just like with a, a payroll application. But instead they're not employees, they're, they're really gig workers. And then there's, you know, creation of invoices online, sending out a request for payment. Uh, there's uh, the need to complete W9. You know, it's like if you pay, if you play at some Broadway location, whatever, there's a W9 that's got to get completed usually before you play. So we just automated a whole bunch of those tasks. But at the end of the day, it's all about fan engagement and driving fan engagement. And the other you know, unique thing we do is that all of the uh, transaction history uh, that's created around this, all these different activities, uh, especially when a fan is paying the performer, uh, we have all that history. We have their plus we have their uh, email address, their phone number, where they live, when they saw the artist, how much do they pay, what time of day, what date. Uh, so you have all this rich, you know, transaction history uh, that. Uh, you know, basically enables the artists and to communicate, communicate directly with their fans because they have a way now to reach them. Hmm. Uh, and then the other thing, by the way, I'm, I'm learning every day in this business. Uh, the other thing we learned is that, you know, we've been told by multiple parties that, uh, when you're a new artist, up and coming artist, uh, and you're trying to, you know, get a record deal, uh, the record labels won't sign you unless you can prove that you have a fan base. Mm, makes sense. You know, so you could be the Beatles and walk in, and if you can't prove you got fans <laughs> that show up to your performances or whatever, uh, uh, they're not going to sign you. You know, it's become very analytical, dr- analytically driven, and so uh, you know we we provide another way for them to provide proof 
of the fact that you know people actually like their music yeah, and, right. and the size of their audience. A lot of these musicians and artists have yeah. talent with a guitar or, or a keyboard, but they can't run a business. And so this is yeah. sort of like a virtual CFO that allows them to keep tabs of things. And I'm sure if they're going from a Tennessee state with no income tax to say Pennsylvania or New Jersey with high, you have the opportunity to, to distinguish about the taxation on each of those uh, deposits that are being made, right? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, but the other thing we did, Steve, uh, towards the end of life. Well, first of all, you know, when you're doing a startup, you know, typically there's challenge, unforeseen challenges that, that, you know, occur that you then have to respond to. And, uh, in my career, I spent a, a, a big proportion of my career actually selling, uh, fintech technology, uh, payments technology, internet banking, corp internet, corporate banking or cash management. Uh, and platforms that process wires and ACH transactions and all these different uh, uh, trend, you know, payment type transaction types, and um, sold technology to the largest credit card processors like Visa and Mastercard, American Express, and and one of the things that happened to us when we finally kind of launched uh, uh, the first real what we felt was a real whole product, which which was a really solid you know first release, uh, we started to see a lot of fraud. Uh, and, and what we learned, uh, was that we believed our KYC capabilities, which is stands for know your customer, know your client was strong enough, uh, for what we were trying to do. Uh, but uh, obviously the bad guys have gotten a lot more sophisticated. And so we started to see, uh, quite a bit of fraudulent transactions to, and I joke about this, and it's not funny, but I, I tell our guys, like, we built a really good money laundering platform. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> the, the difference between selling a T-shirt on a, yeah. a show and a dime bag of Coke is not that dissimilar in the yeah. numbers. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, and there, we always had the fear that our technology could be used to uh, facilitate commerce in, in areas of the economy that we don't want to get involved in. Sure. Uh, and, and then the other thing is, uh, and we always had the bigger vision that we were going to target the gig industry, uh, and really music was the first one. Uh, we also had a couple of sports segments, uh, the student athlete NIL market with, uh, colleges today was one, uh, e-gaming was another kind of adjacent market that we wanted to go into that had like gig like characteristics, uh, to them, uh, and so we were even starting to get used by some uh, gig businesses, like companies that hire people for hotels to clean rooms, uh, you know, people to work in the kitchens. And uh, and we found that that wasn't really, you know, you know, there's it's a tough tough market to operate in. Let's put put it that way. Sure. Uh, you have you know employees that don't have social security numbers. They don't even have ITIN numbers. Mm -hmm. They don't have bank accounts. You know, it's some of them really aren't here legally. You know, they come over on a vacation visa, work six months and go home and, uh, and stay as long as they have to. And then they come back and, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Uh, that's a little, you know, questionable. Uh, and, um, and because, of that, we were probably also getting dragged into more. Uh, we're being used by customers that were 
using us for, you know, basically to steal yeah. from, from people. Ill-intentioned purpose. Yeah. Uh, is there a cryptocurrency aspect to this? And how does Stacks uh, set itself from uh, set itself apart from the market like a PayPal? Uh, well, uh, the uh, it's that is a really good question. Uh, one of the other mistakes we made and, and learned from quickly, uh, and we're fixing it right now, uh, is that just the name Stacks Pay was, and I take full responsibility as my, for myself for this. Just the name Stacks Pay is a terrible name for our our fan app or our fan engagement app even though it's anchored heavily in payment you know tri- type type functionality uh, when you say oh we got this thing stack stack stacks pay the first question we were always getting from everybody was okay well how do you compare with Vimo Zelle and cash app like that's a terrible starting point for a company to be in and and the world, you know, in my opinion, the world doesn't need another peer-to-peer mobile payment app. Now, I believe there are other people that are going to become prominent in that area. Apple, uh, Google, uh, you know, there's things going on right now where uh, the current uh, state of competitors isn't going to stay status quo. Uh, but it's still for us, you know, we needed a brand for our fan app that more reflected what it is we're trying to do. And so we're rebranding it right now, Stacks Fan. Uh, and then also, in addition to Stacks Musician, we're creating an app for athletes called Stacks Athlete. We'll repurpose almost all the functionality uh, for uh, like the college NIL market. Uh, but, but you know, that work is underway right now as well. And then the Fan app will be able to be uh, uh, utilized across both uh, we, we look at them all as performers. So when we look at the ecosystem that we operate in at the highest level, there's performers and those could be musicians. It could be athletes. Uh, and then there's products that through their activities that get sold, uh, to fans, tickets, merchandise, uh, concessions, uh, there's a whole host of things that, that get sold. You know, it could be digital collectibles. Uh, so there's a whole host of products that get sold. Then there's channels, uh, and the channels could be a venue, uh, could be a t- you know pure play ticketing platform. So all these different products are getting sold through channels. Uh, then there's a, a layer of like influencers that influence the market. So like with college NIL could be, the head of the NCAA could be, you know, the coaches on teams could be the athletic department. There's all these different, the media, there's all these different. And then lastly, the ultimate uh, person who drives the entire industry, whether it's music, sports, is the fans. Like, you know, if you don't have the fans, you don't, you don't have a business. Uh, so that's kind of how we view the market. And so when you, going back to your real question, which was crypto, uh, you know, in that context, we looked at, first of all, we also minted our own cryptocurrency last year. It was called Stacks Coin, And we had some specific purposes for it. We weren't trying to create another, you know, main coin or anything like that. Uh, we had some very specific use cases where we wanted to use our own coin. But after FTX blew up in you know, October, November last year, 
and you know um, you know signature failed you know like there was th- things happening in the market we concluded uh, one of my first jobs ever in my career I, I sold trading system technology on Wall Street to all the big investment banks broker dealers stock exchanges and I could tell that because of really what happened with FTX that there was a tsunami going to be coming down at that industry uh, and it's going to get regulated because at that point it wasn't regulated at all. Uh, and so I didn't want to be standing anywhere near that bomb when that, that, that went off. I didn't, you know, it, it, because when I, we got involved in it, you could tell where, uh, you know, there, there could be some fraud in that business. Uh, you know, when you, based on what I knew, based on our experience creating our own coin, it was pretty easy to see and without any regulation, you, it was pretty, pretty easy to see why some people got themselves in trouble. Yeah. Like and, ca- and so, basically. but we, we see crypto, uh, uh, first of all, uh, we have an NFT business now where we create digital collectibles and, you know, if you go to OpenSea, you're, you're almost forced to use a crypto to buy NFTs off their marketplace. Um, so you, you, first of all, so you need to have the ability to, to do that. So your app needs to have a wallet. You need to be able to support crypto. You have to be able to move back and forth between fiat currencies and cryptocurrency. And so uh, that was the first use case. But then we filed a couple of patents uh, last year. One was that uh, we believe there was an opportunity to create a, a crypto-based fan rewards program. Uh, by the way, it wasn't 2024 when I got it, uh, uh, nominated and accepted into the College Business Hall of Fame. It was 2004. <laughs> like I'm an old guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're not a future. And, yeah. Yeah. Next and, year. Okay. And I and I remember back in the day. You know, it didn't last very long while I was young, but 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 the business was around for quite a while, and that was the SNH Green Stamps program. If you even know what that is, Mm-mm. but before technology i remember tops trading cards but yeah. yeah well before technology got cheap enough to allow uh each business to have its own customer loyalty and rewards program mm. there was a national program called snh green stamps and and they basically gave the consumer a book and when they made purchases around all the local merchants or the gas station or whatever they would print out these stamps and the mother it was typically done by mothers at that time, and they would take the stamps they earned, they put them in the book, and when the book got full, they could trade the book in for cash, or they gave the consumers like a, a almost like a Sears Roebuck catalog, that you know the the whoever was in the family was responsible for the book would go through, and and they could buy things with this book of stamps. That was so the stamps was the reward. You had to, you know earn enough of them in order to be able to buy something that you wanted. And, uh, but now an early Groupon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But now, uh, you know, all these companies have their own programs. And so you, as a consumer, you're stuck with these points, uh, that you're accumulating all over the place. And so we designed and architected a platform that would allow us to build a a system that would work with anyone's point program. You'd have to, you have to, each company has its own value for their points, but 
we wanted to basically create a an exchange rate that would all, all obviously have to be adjusted on the fly because things are happening with the price of Bitcoin or Ether or whatever you're using. Uh, but, you know, get people to have the option to be able to move into uh, uh, a crypto by exchanging their points for a crypto. Now they can accumulate enough of these, you know, it's like back to the old SNH green stamps. Now you, you're getting them from all the people you do transact business with. To and, be able yeah. to use your yeah. frequent flyer miles with your yeah. gas points and whatever. Exactly, exactly. And then, uh, and before then, I went out of time yeah. with you, I wanted to just move. So that you have uh, on your website, the future of sports looks like live areas that will define the next 50 quarters of sports and tell us how to capitalize on these trends moving forward. Uh, Esports and gaming, payments and currency, web 3.0, venue and facilities and globalization. How does uh, the gig economy, economy fit into those? Uh, well, for for us, uh, the uh, you know the the big thing for us that we're focused on right now is uh, NFTs, which kind of crosses over a couple of those areas. You know, Web three O and cryptocurrencies, um, and and what we're doing there, uh, we have two t NFT type businesses but they both involve them in NFTs. One is a, I call it a scarcity business. And we work with athletes. We'll create a painting of the athlete. It's a real painting, a poster size painting. Uh, we digitally scan it. Uh, and then with the scan, we create an NFT. Uh, the NFT can become part of a smart contract. We're doing with this with a few athletes where we add, you know, signed shoes, you know, a basketball shoot around or a, throw and catch session for football, whatever it is. And then that gets sold to the fans to, to and what allows the athlete to do is generate an NIL dollars. Uh, and then there's a volume business. Uh, this is where AI comes in, in into play. We're using uh, AI image generation technology. We can create a, um, a, a you know, a picture, uh, and convert that into an NFT. And then we can sell that at a much, much lower price than when we're, combining that with a painting. Hmm. So I call that the volume business. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one area where we're, uh, you know, basically the athletes now, when they go to school, they're now in, bus in business for themselves. Because of NIL. Because of NIL. Yeah. They're all in, in business for themselves now. So technically they're a gig worker today. And the gig, um, the, the gig economy is definitely here to stay. 36% yep. of U.S. workers today are now involved in the gig economy. More than 50% of the U.S. workforce will participate by 2027, uh, assumptions say, and around $1.4 is contributed to the U.S. economy annually from freelancing. Uh, yet gig workers of all types lack the tools and resources. They need to easily pay and get paid uh, in a cashless, one-off world. Sure, there are digital payments apps out there, but what about bulk payments or payments that need to split across a group? Leaving a digital tip when you want when you don't have cash and before you know the recipient's name, finding new fans, clients, or customers without complex ad campaigns. So how does Stacks fit in? Well, uh, I like to use the NIL example just because one of the things we learned, Steve, uh, over the last several months is just how big the sports industry is. It's a, it's estimated to be a $1.3 trillion 
business market today in the United States. It's crazy. It's huge. Valuations teams are going through the roof. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things that are fueling that. You know, gambling is heightened the interest in sports and, and games. And, and uh, but the other uh, patent we filed uh, that applies to music and sports is that today, you know, like with the last Super Bowl, tickets go on sale. They go and sell retail between two hundred and maybe two thousand uh, dollars. The next day, that two thousand dollar ticket is being sold for like twenty two thousand dollars. That's okay. The problem with that is that the original rights holder that's supposed to make money off that ticket gets nothing on that. Where I gave that example, receives no compensation for the two that twenty thousand dollar bump in the price. And a lot most. Tickets, not 50%, but a lot, a high percentage. When they go on sale, there are bots and other things go out and they gobble up all the inventory. Then they mark up the prices and resell them, you know, just like with Taylor Swift's concerts. Right. And, and, but, you know, but the party that is the rights holder for that ticket is making nothing on those transactions. Using the properties of NFT, NFTs and blockchain technology. The great thing about NFTs is when they get resold, like the original creator, whatever the deal is, earns income on every transaction. Similarly, by turning the tickets into NFT, you know, Jerry Jones can make money on every resale of Dallas Cowboys tickets. Right. Uh, but when we looked at it, we were like, we are not that smart. You know, if we're sitting around talking about this now, like we're 50th in line. Uh, and, but what we did come up with is a very novel and different approach where the actual NFT is not the ticket. It's actually the seat because what is, what really is a value is that seat, it, whether it's a temporary seat or a permanent seat. And, and so we create a, a method where we want to turn seats into NFTs and by virtue of doing that, then we can associate back every ticket for every event to the original seat. Now you're really leveraging the properties of blockchain technology. And, so a season ticket holder could actually get paid on the retransactions, the, the buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell of that game up until game time. Or the team. Or the you team. Know, if they what, whoever, the, whoever is considered the, the right. Stadium owner. Yeah. yeah, the stadium owner. I mean, Bridgestone <clears throat> Arena in Nashville is ranked pretty much every year now as the top venue in the entire United States. That place is more utilized than any other place in the U.S. Well, Bridgestone Arena is not making money on all those. Mm-hmm. They should be making more money. Yeah. Madison Square uh, Garden, I think, has and then, operates at a loss, too. And then so instead of having a general ledger created just for one ticket for one event, you're creating a general ledger now for the seats. And by virtue, with the architecture and everything we created, you can now point to every seat and pinpoint exactly what's worth so it's a it's a good way to figure out what my venue is really worth. And by the way, all the transaction history is captured. You know, who bought it, who sold it, how much, you know, when, you know, what day. Yeah. Literally uh, valuable yeah, analytics. Yeah. So. Well, Scott, thank you for joining us on the CEO special. We wish you great success with this business. Uh, tell everyone where they can go to find out more about Stack Sports, Stacks Athlete, Stacks. What was the other one? Uh Stacks Musician. Stacks Musician and follow you on yeah. social if you have that and sign up as a customer. Yeah. Well, social our social handle, handle is at 
official stacks. Uh, and that's across all the platforms. So official stacks with an at sign, you know, that leads uh-huh. leads it. And then uh, our new website is www.stacksports.com. And then we have a separate offshoot website for the music business. And that's today it's still www.stackspay.com. And stacks is S-T-A-K-S. Yeah, and you did trademark yeah. that, so you might as well use it. Yeah, and uh, and my my last name is pronounced Pronger too. I mean, not Pronger. that you would know that no one would ever know that, but my dad would be very upset. <laughs> People are calling me Pranger. Uh, so anyway, well, that, just, a, just a, that a is deceptive. It was, yeah, oh, I it's, it's a it's like a German pronunciation. Uh, but anyway, hey Steve, thank you very much. I really appreciate you inviting me here to do this. Uh, uh, anyway, enjoy doing it. Uh, hopefully we, I can come back here again sometime soon. Yeah, thrilled to have you. And we will right. definitely be watching the, uh, the progress of the company yeah. as it goes along. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Welcome to my book a day segment where I introduce you to a book I think you'll enjoy and learn from. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. One of the most inspiring and impactful books ever written, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, has captivated readers for nearly three decades. It has transformed the lives of presidents and CEOs, educators, and parents. Millions of people of all ages and occupations, now this 30th anniversary edition of the Timeless Classic commemorates the wisdom of the seven habits with modern editions from Steve Covey. The seven habits have become famous and are integrated into everyday thinking by millions and millions of people. Why? Because they work. With Sean Covey's added takeaways on how the habits can be used in our modern age, the wisdom of the seven habits will be refreshed for a new generation of readers. They include habit one, be productive. Two, begin with the end in mind. Put first things first. Think win, win. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Synergize, and lastly, sharpen the saw. This beloved classic presents a principle-centered approach for solving both personal and professional problems with penetrating insights and practical anecdotes. Stephen R. Covey reveals a step-by-step pathway for living with fairness, integrity, honesty, and human dignity, principles that give us the security to adapt to change and the wisdom and power to take advantage of the opportunities that change creates. That's it for this episode. That's it for this season. I really hope you liked it. We'll be back soon. If you like what you heard here, be sure to check out our other shows, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the Mill Creek View, Tennessee, on all your podcast stations and Rumble, Washington and Florida now, uh, and subscribe to mcview.us to get updated news. And thank you for doing it. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, CEO of the Mill Creek View, signing off. Peace in our time.